You're listening to Comedy Central. January 10th, 2019. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. On tonight's show, we're gonna be joined by the star of Ballers and the hit movie Black Klansman, John David Washington is here, everybody! And please prepare yourselves, he is very sexy. We're also gonna be talking about the latest in the government shutdown, including President Trump's trip to the border, where he illegally snuck into Mexico to see how they like it. Yeah, spoiler alert, we are also not sending our best. But first, let's catch up on today's headlines. It is 663 days until the next presidential election, but the campaign is already underway. One of the Democrats exploring a run is former Texas representative and weathered teenage, uh, teenage boy, Beto O'Rourke. Uh, all week, he's been traveling around talking to everyday Americans and posting stories on his Instagram. And it turns out, maybe there is such a thing as too relatable. That is indeed Beto O'Rourke in the dentist chair, talking to people near the border about what life is like there, including talking to his own dentist. Uh, so I'm here at the dentist and we're going to continue our series on the people of the border. I'm here with Diana, my dental hygienist. Diana's gonna tell us a little bit about growing up in Alpines. Yeah, Beto. It looks like he didn't understand what his advisor meant when he said all the kids are flossing. Uh, Cause like, what's next? Ted Cruz checking his beard for lice on TikTok? Come on, man. But this is a genius way to avoid tough questions, right? Cause it'd be like, Congressman, how, how can you call yourself a progressive candidate when you voted for drilling in the Gulf of Mexico? It'd be like, great question. <laughs> Moving on to a congressman who did something even less cool than visit a dentist. Representative Steve King of Iowa. King has often faced accusations of racism. Now that's mostly because of all the racist stuff he says. <laughs> but today he defended himself by saying, what's wrong with racism anyway? Steve King defending himself after a newly published article from the New York Times saying he's not racist. But then in the article, the Congressman from Iowa's fourth district questions why the term white nationalists and white supremacists are offensive language. Yeah, I'm not racist. You niggas need to calm down. <laughs> now, I know, I know it sounds bad, but at least he didn't do something truly unforgivable, like say, mother or dance on a rooftop once. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Moving on to some news from Paris, the capital of fine dining. The very first restaurant serving only nude diners in Paris is shutting down. The restaurant... Oh, natural, has only been open for 15 months. Apparently, business has been suffering from a lack of customers. Not many people want to show up naked. The nudist restaurant plans to close its doors for good on February 16th. Yeah, they had a good run. That's right. <laughs> France's first nude restaurant is closing February 16th, which means my Valentine's Day reservation is still good to go. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, uh, nothing quite says uh, love like spilling hot clam chowder on my genitals. It's just uh, 
Can you imagine being a health inspector there? What happens? You just walk in and kill yourself? Like, <laughs> and what if you're a waiter having to deal with the customers? Be like, excuse me, there's a hair in my chicken. <laughs> Be like, well, sir, your balls are all over my chair, so we're even. <laughs> all right, let's move on to our main story. <laughs> Today marks day 20 of the federal government shutdown. Farmers can't get the loans that they promised. People are facing evictions, and the government's so broke, they had to start renting the Lincoln Memorial out on Airbnb. <laughs> and because 800,000 government workers are not being paid, some of them were rallying in D.C. today. So we sent Michael Costa to show some support. It's day 20 of the second longest government shutdown in history. 1995, we're coming for you. Woo! With no end in sight, civil servants are marching on Washington, D.C., and the president knows why. People that won't get next week's pay or the following week's pay, I think if you ever really looked at those people, I think they'd say, Mr. President, keep going. He's talking about people who work for the IRS or Homeland Security or NASA and are about to miss their first paycheck. Time to give these people a chance to speak to the president directly and to tell him to keep going. This is a card for President Trump to tell him to keep going. You write whatever you want to President Trump and his keep going card. American Federation of Government Employees, hell no. He wrote, keep going, Mr. President. We are all not behind you. You mean not not is what he meant to write. Stop the BS. Stop the BS. Bad seeds trying to come in from over the border, right? We got it, Ryan. Michael Costa, everyone. Thanks so much, Michael. Now. With all the support behind him, President Trump decided to plow forward on proving his case for a border wall. So today, the Commander-in-Chief put on his travel Barbie outfits and flew down to the southern border to get a first-hand account of the situation. And while he was there, he gave us all a drunk history lesson. They say a wall is medieval. Well, so is a wheel. A wheel is older than a wall. And I looked, and every single car out there, even the really expensive ones that the Secret Service uses, and believe me, they are expensive. I said, do they all have wheels? Yes. Oh, I thought it was medieval. The wheel is older than the wall. You know that? And uh, there are some things that work. You know what? A wheel works and a wall works. You know, if, if a football player got up after a tackle and started talking like that, the trainer would be like, uh, we need to get you to the locker room now. <laughs> Your brain is not okay. <laughs> and just by the way, I, don't even, I can't believe we have to say this. If there are any kids watching that are gonna use this on a history test, walls are actually much older than the wheel, <laughs> right? 6,000 years older than the wheel. Like, back in the day, cavemen had walls. <laughs> so I guess people should stop calling Trump a Neanderthal because a Neanderthal would know that. <laughs> Hashtag not my Neanderthal. <laughs> now, uh, after putting the president's word through Google Translate, I think, I think what, what he's trying to say is that just because the wall is old technology doesn't mean it's not gonna be effective, right? The only problem is, since walls have been around for so long, people have had centuries to figure out how to get through them. 
the president in the Oval Office addressed and his administration have been pushing this idea now of this, a steel slat barrier, which is already in use down here uh, along the southern border. We know from DHS testing uh, over the course of the last year that all of President Trump's prototypes were breachable in some way. But now for the first time, NBC News has exclusively obtained a photograph of the steel slat barrier style border wall design that was clearly cut through uh, with what we are told is a household saw. Okay, okay. Now you laugh, but to be fair, to be fair, you can't just get through with a household saw, okay? You also need some immigrant can-do work ethic. Because <laughs> let me tell you, because let me tell you, I've tried, I've tried sawing before, and that shit takes forever. <laughs> After five minutes, I was like, forget it, I'm just gonna bury the body in one piece. Like, <laughs> actually, it's so hard to saw through that level of steel that I think if a Mexican manages to saw his way into America, we should just give that person a job. Yeah. Yeah, like, just hire them. In fact, here's my pitch, here's my pitch. That should be how you do merit-based immigration, right? <laughs> However they manage to get in should just be, like, the skill that you use to your advantage in America. If you saw through, you work in construction. Go, straight away, straight away. <laughs> if they climb over the wall, you're a firefighter now. Go, 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 go. <laughs> and then all you guys running away, we'll see you on the Olympic team! <laughs> USA! USA! <laughs> USA! <laughs> USA. <laughs> no, no, USA, USA. <laughs> Now, you, now you'd think, you'd think, you'd think the news that you can just saw through a steel wall would be devastating news for Trump. But apparently, he already knows about this, and he's not concerned. There are pictures this morning showing steel barrier wall being sawed straight through. What good is a steel wall if they can saw through it? There's nothing that can't be penetrated, but you fix it. But it's a very difficult thing to do. But that's a wall, and they have other walls. We have many walls under consideration. Even concrete. There's acid that can go through concrete. Don't give them more ideas. What are you doing? <laughs> I didn't even know that was possible. You're gonna build a wall and then tell everyone how to get through it? <laughs> Trump would be the worst bank robber ever. This is a stick-up, but I've got weak wrists. If you hit me right here, the gun will fly out. It's just gonna fly out right here. But look, I get what he's saying. Again, I get it. Even if a wall isn't 100% impenetrable, it's still better than nothing. And America's gonna need all the help it can get because the way Trump tells it, things on the border are about to get nuts. Here's the story. There is another major caravan forming right now in Honduras. And so far, we're trying to break it up. But so far, it's bigger than anything we've seen. Wow, another caravan. It's so convenient how whenever Trump needs to win something, a big scary caravan is always coming to kill us all. Because <laughs> first it was the midterms, and now it's the shutdown. Like, I feel like if Trump isn't careful, he's gonna run into a boy who cried wolf situation, you know? Someday there is gonna be a big caravan full of ISIS drug dealers and Shreks pouring over the border. <laughs> And Trump will be like, there really is a caravan this time. And we'll be like, whatever, old man. Ah, the Shrek's eating my face. <laughs> we'll be right back. <laughs> Welcome to The Daily Show, everybody. You guys are fun, man. Thanks for being here. <laughs> it was a, uh... 
a really fascinating discussion I stumbled upon online. And it was about the new Brian Cranston and Kevin Hart movie. Um, you seen it? It's a, it's a beautiful story that has been adapted. It's from a French movie originally called The Untouchables. And it's a story of, um, uh, I guess in the movie, it's, it's a, a, an African man who lives in France, French guy, and he gets employed by this rich paraplegic man to come and like look after him. And it's like a, you know, odd pairing and they, they get to know each other and it's, it's a beautiful story. And I saw Kevin Hart and Brian Cranston are remaking the movie and it looks like it's gonna be good. And what was interesting is there was a, like a big, you know, outrage online that, that started up yesterday where people were complaining saying, why is Brian Cranston playing a disabled person? Why didn't they get a disabled person to play a disabled person? And I'm not gonna lie, my first instinct, because I love Brian Cranston, I, my first instinct immediately, I was like, are you being serious? I was like, guys, come on, man, we're going too far now. I was like, it's, you can't, like, the actors, actors are gonna act. You can't, like, the whole point of act, if we get everyone who is the thing to be the thing, then it's not acting, then it's just the thing, it's a documentary. <laughs> like, like, get the act, that's the whole point of acting. You know, and I was like, come on, man, we're going too far. Of course he's gonna play the person, and then, you know, obviously online, everyone just swears at each other. Nobody, nobody speaks anymore. No one has a conversation that's nuanced. But there was one, one actor who is in a wheelchair, and I, I didn't know of him. I don't know who he is. I just, he just wrote a really cogent, beautiful response online. Didn't fight with anybody. Didn't call anybody anything. Didn't judge anybody. And he completely opened my eyes to a perspective I never thought of. He said, I understand what an actor is. I, too, am an actor. He said, but I'm an actor in a wheelchair. And I never see parts that are leading roles for a person in a wheelchair. And so the one time I see a role where there's a person in a wheelchair, I think, wow, this could be it. This could be the moment where I, I have all of the tools necessary to play this part. Do I get a shot at playing it? And, and he was like, because when you think of it on the flip side, they never call people with wheelchairs in to play able-bodied people, and they'll get able-bodied to people to play people in wheelchairs. And I was like, snap, I, like, I just, I never thought of it like that. You know, I, I, my perspective, obviously, as someone who is not in a wheelchair, I just, I never thought of it that way. And I sat there and I was like, it's, it's, it's powerful because you, you, you don't think about representation, you don't think about how important it is for people to see themselves on screen, like, like in a real way. And at the same time, I don't think Brian Cranston did anything wrong. You know, I, I, I don't think everything has to be a fight. It's just like a moment to be like, hey, maybe next time in Hollywood, people can look at that and go, maybe you can get a relatively unknown actor to play that role, and then put an A-lister opposite them. Maybe it becomes their breakout. Maybe this becomes the thing that blows them up. And that's where you realize like, how powerful representation is. Because if you are a person in a wheelchair, and how many movies come along where the lead character is in a wheelchair? There's, there's virtually none. And I, I honestly, I, even myself, I was like, oh man, I have to try and understand that a little bit more. Uh, it was, it was eye-opening. And I, I did understand it when he said it like that a bit because I remember when they announced The Lion King was gonna be made in America. They were like, The Lion King's gonna be made. They're looking, and I was like, my phone's gonna ring, right? <laughs> I was like, because I mean... <laughs> I was like, I'm... The whole time, the whole time I was waiting, and they were like, Beyonce's gonna be, I was like, okay, cool. Beyonce and? And then they were like, another person was like, and? And then they were like, Donald Glover, I was like, okay, good, and? 
And, and I was just like waiting. I was so ready to be in The Lion King that every time my phone rang, every time, didn't, I, like, I didn't even hesitate. I'd answer, it'd be like, I was like, nah, like, oh, hello? No, no, I, I, I already have insurance. Thank you, thank you. Okay, thank you, but why? Yeah, because I might be in The Lion King, that's why, thank you. Well, thank you, thank you very much. I hope they think that too. Thank you very much, all right, bye. So I get, but I, I will say like, it was, it was just a beautiful moment. I hope I, I'll try and be a part of that as a human online and in real life, but I appreciated how that guy who was an actor in a wheelchair took a moment to go, hey, you didn't do anything wrong to me, but let me explain to you my point of view. And it was just like a, a moment in the internet where I was like, oh yeah, this is what we could use this thing for. <laughs> yeah, that was nice. It was like, just like a little moment of solace. Then it went back to, you must all die. <laughs> I kill yourself, I show your real face, give me your address, I'll come and kill you. <laughs> but that moment was beautiful. That was fun, yeah. Any questions before we move on? What role would you play in Lion King? What role would I play in Lion King? Uh, any, I would have played Rafiki, are you kidding me? <laughs> I would have loved to be Rafiki. Could have been anything. I'm not even picky about those things. I'll be a tree. <laughs> It'd be like an African tree in the background. <laughs> I, I would have been the rumbling of the buffalo in the stampede. Like, I could have been the I just want to be a part of it, that's all. I get it. No, no, hey! Don't feel sorry for me. I'm doing great in life, don't feel sorry for me. I'm just saying, I just, you know, just would have been, would have been nice. I'm, I'm fine, guys, I'm fine. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not stressed at all, okay? Like, Hakuna Matara. <laughs> Welcome back to The Daily Show. My guest tonight is a Golden Globe-nominated actor whose latest film is the critically acclaimed Black Klansman. Please welcome John David Washington. <laughs> First things first. <laughs> Welcome to the show and congratulations on your Golden Globe nomination. That Thank was you. huge. Yeah. Amazing. I, I've uh, you know I've experienced through you know the, the son perspective and my father being nominated, but to get invited to the table, um, it was a dream come true. It really was. Right. You 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 have been someone who's been thrust into the the limelight. Uh, a lot of people first saw you on Ballers. Mm -hmm. You know, but you be, you started your acting career at a young age. I, I, I see here that you were you were in Malcolm X <laughs> yeah. when you were what nine years old? I, I was six, and I was more of a background artiste. Oh, know? nice, nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but I had a line. I'm Malcolm X. It's the first kid that jumps up and says the line, and uh, it was amazing. I, I, I always wanted to be an actor, though. My favorite movie growing up was Glory, and I knew every line of every character. All I wanted for Christmas was a, a new VHS tape because I broke it because I watched it so many times. Right. And then uh, the blue suits that the, that the soldiers wanted, and uh, I got that blue suit for Christmas, and it was off to the races after that. You, you, you have an interesting story because you wanted to get into acting and then your love became sport. What changed? Why did you, why did you leave the acting game? And you did well in sport as well. And then what brought you back to acting? I did all right. I did all right. Um, well, you know, I, I, seeing how I was getting treated as my father started becoming more popular, his ascension in the business, 
uh, I was getting the family stuff. We started getting treated differently. Right. And, uh, For those who don't know, he's talking about Denzel Washington, just in case you don't know. Yeah, 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 that guy. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, you know, as I, I saw us getting treated differently, we went from, you know, going to Sizzlers to going. To, so as I started getting treated differently, I wanted to protect my feelings, protect myself. Right. And right. I chose football as this independent card. You know, I had this rebellious quest of uh, making my own name, being, making it on my own. And uh, I felt like I can hide in the helmet, you know, and just get it done myself. So. It's interesting that you, you, you combined your skills, you know, in ballers, you're playing an athlete and you are an actor at the same time. And, and now we've seen that evolution come to the next level in, in Black Klansman. I mean, it was a phenomenal performance. Everyone who's watched the movie truly loved it. It was a powerful film as well. What was interesting was you didn't audition for this role. Mm. Spike Lee just called you and didn't ask you to, he basically told you you're doing the movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, that's, that's kind of right, yeah. Um, I had done a film called Monster uh, for his wife, uh, who's a producer on it, and, uh, and he was familiar with some work I did on Ballers. But yeah, I got a text from him saying, yo, this Spike called me, like, those were the words. And uh, I, I never talked to him on a, on a cell phone before, right. so I had to investigate, because I was looking for <laughs> work, you know, saying I had to. So I called him, he's like, yo, I got a script, uh, there's a book I want to send you. I read the book, I called him back and said, this is amazing. He said, bet, I'll see you this summer. And we just started going from there. And it, it's, it's a really powerful story. For those who haven't seen it, um, it's, it's the story of a policeman who you play um, and your character, Ron... Ron Starworth. Ron Starworth is a, is a black police officer in a white police department in a town where the Klan is, really has a big presence. And he mm-hmm. works to infiltrate the Klan. This is based on a true story. Yes, yes. In Colorado Springs in the 70s, uh, Ron Starworth was the first... African American detective in Colorado Springs. Right, and uh, he he had he had he had read the, an ad in the paper. They were recruiting the, the Ku Klux Klan were recruiting the local paper, and he called them up and uh, and uh, said how much he hated uh, black people and, and all and other minorities. And they're like, great, we would love you to join. <laughs> <laughs> and what, 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 what was crazy about this film is that, like, it, it shows you how powerful, ludicrous, and, and just wild racism as a concept is. Because, yeah. you know, your character in the movie, I mean, you, you didn't even change your voice in, in the movie. You just have Ron calling the KKK and being yeah. like, let me tell you how much I hate the blacks. <laughs> and they're like, we love you. Yeah, you right. know what I mean? It's almost like the, the racism blinded them to every possibility. You know, when, when you were playing your character and you're going through the story, was, was it hard for you to maintain that, that level of being calm and happy whilst at the same time maintaining that level of fear as well? Because Ron had both feelings at the same time. Yeah, um, I, I had to honor the character and what he was going through during that time. I mean, it, it, he couldn't break. I mean, he, always, he often talked about being on cases, a detective, uh, uh, being like an actor when he's right. undercover. So he had to play the role. He said he never changed his voice, but he just spoke the language, the language of hate. And we're seeing, it's really highlighted in this film, how generational it is. These certain trigger words that he would use, right, that he can't right, say right. on air, um, that, uh, that would entice them. And how generational that is, and you see it in the film, how Spike tied it all together, what happens at the end of the film. You have a, a powerful scene that we watched in that clip. Um, with Adam Driver, who's phenomenal in the film as well. You have, a, you have a great cast of actors, and the two of you are talking about the Klan. And in this film, there's a lot of people wearing Klan hoods. Mm. And I know that you guys are actors, but was there a moment when you're sitting on set and you look around you and you're like, yeah. what am I doing here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what am I... Well, I, you know, I gotta say, during the banquet scene... Yes. Uh, 
Um, I, I, I had to call Ron Starworth after that day and I thanked him. I thanked him from the bottom of my heart how heroic he was. During the investigation, there were no cross burnings, there were no uh, terrorist acts or violence on the, on the community. I think that's uh, mission accomplished. That's right. extremely heroic. But I told him, like, I, 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 re I uh, really appreciate what you did because he was looking death in the eyes. Like, he, they could have killed him and buried him, and he had the law on his side. A black man, a black detective in Colorado Springs in the 70s had a law on his side, face-to-face uh, -face with David Duke. Right. So um, those were very hard. That was a very hard scene. Those were very uh, difficult days. But because of our commander, because of, 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 uh, of Spike Lee, we felt so comfortable and free to explore that because we know what we're doing is a part of the storytelling that's going to be told truthfully and right because of Spike Lee. He's a master of cinematic tone. When, when you look at how the story ties into what America is going through today, uh, you, can't, you can't ignore it because the film ends right. in a really powerful... Um, I won't tell you how the story ends, but the, the, the end of the film has um, the news clippings from Charlottesville. And you see that horrible scene play out again. And I remember I was sitting in the cinema with people and nobody moved. Mm -hmm. Everyone was shaken by it. If someone hasn't watched the movie or if even people have, what, would, what message would you hope they take away from this film? That the, uh, I think the answer to peace, with the hope, I think the hope lies in inclusion. Everybody here that's looking, like we all are different. We all come from different spaces and backgrounds, but it's gonna take us to come together. And the, the, I think the film lends itself to that kind of hope because the mission was accomplished because of uh, this, not just this black detective, but white officers that helped him and assisted him into this mission. So it's gonna take inclusion. It's amazing, man. Good job on the film. I'm excited. Congrats on the Golden Globe nomination. I'm hoping we're gonna see you nominated for an Oscar as well. Black Klansman is in select theaters and available on Blu-ray, DVD, and digital. John David Washington, everybody. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, ears edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.